to Trek Companion. This is episode 185. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are going to start Star Trek Voyager. Uh, and yes, uh, I believe our last episode, our holiday episode, I said 185. That was that was actually episode 184. This is episode 185. And uh, I am very excited to kick off Voyager. Uh, so let's get going. We're going to be doing the pilot caretaker. And because that's a two-parter, we will only do one episode after that, and that will be Parallax. Here we go. Caretaker, Season 1, Episodes 1 and 2, Production Code 101 and 102, Original Air Date January 16th, 1995, Directed by Winrick Colby, Story by Rick Berman, Michael Piller and Jerry Taylor, Teleplay by Michael Piller and Jerry Taylor, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Primary cast include Kate Mulgrew as Catherine Janeway, Robert Beltron as Chakotay, Tim Russ as Tuvok, Robert Duncan McNeil as Tom Paris, Roxanne Dawson as Belana Torres, Garrett Wong as Harry Kim, Robert Picardo as The Doctor, Ethan Phillips as Neelix, and Jennifer Lean as Kess. Guest cast include Richard Poe as Golivec, Josh Clark as Lieutenant Carey, Alicia Coppola as Lieutenant Stoddy, Gavin O'Herlihy as Jabin, Armin Shimmerman as Quark, Basil Langton as The Caretaker, Angela Patton as Ada, Bruce French as Ocompan Doctor, Jennifer Parsons as Ocompan Nurse, David Selberg as Toscott, Jeff McCarthy as Dr. Fitzgerald, Stan Evar as Mark Johnson, Scott McDonald as Lieutenant Rollins, and Scott Jake as Lieutenant Commander Cabot. A Cardassian cruiser is pursuing a smaller Marquis spacecraft into the Badlands, a dangerous nebula where the Cardassian vessel is damaged by a plasma storm and the Marquis ship is caught in a, in a displacement wave and disappears. Soon after on Earth, Captain Catherine Janeway of the Federation starship USS Voyager recruits Tom Paris, a captured Marquis from a New Zealand prison, to help track, track down the missing Marquis spacecraft. She's looking for her security chief, who was aboard the ship as the Federation as a Federation spy at the time of its disappearance. Captain, there is now enough evidence to form a reasonable hypothesis. I believe that the caretaker is dying. Explain. First. He increases the energy supply to provide the city with a surplus to last at least five years. Then he seals the conduits. The logical conclusion is that he does not intend to continue his role as caretaker. That doesn't necessarily mean he's dying. He could be leaving. Doubtful. Not after a millennium of providing for these people. Voyager and caretaker. Don't need to spend too much time kind of going over the origin of the show, but the gist of it is that despite the fact that DS9 uh, was doing pretty well. Uh, the studio wanted another Star Trek show, and that was uh, that task was given to Rick Berman, and he, along with Michael Piller and Jerry Taylor, they really wanted to come up with something kind of different that would. They knew they needed. Uh, they were going to do another ship show, but they wanted it to be distinct from Next Gen setting it in the Delta Quadrant, giving it a, the first female captain. These are the, the kind of things that that they came up with. And there was a lot of uh, fighting with the studio to make all this happen. I really uh, I really like this show. I always have. It, it has a special place. We were talking about this before we started recording. It's funny how, especially when you haven't watched a show in a while, it can immediately take you back to the time Steve was joking about he's going to eat chips while we record <laughs> because he ate a lot of chips when he watched the show. I don't know how exactly true that is, but that's what made me think about this idea. Um, 
uh, it takes you back to whatever, you know, like I remember watching this show uh, because this was the first Star Trek show that I really was able to watch like from start to finish. I remember very clearly where I was when I saw Caretaker. You know, I was at the Navy School of Music sitting in my friend's room. We had been waiting and waiting for this night and, and we watched it. And, you know, I the, the first few years of this show were while I was in the army and then it finished uh, while I was in college. I remember that clearly because, you know, DS9, I had certain, you know, I had high school stuff and, and, and my army training that prevented me, made me, I had a big break during that show and next gen, you know, I was too young to really watch every single episode from day one, but this was the first show that I watched every episode from day one. And I, that gives me good memories. And I really love these characters so much and watching this pilot reminded me of that immediately. I think these characters are so well-defined and that's another thing that, that they, when they set out, uh, those three, when they set out to create this show, they wanted to create a show that had unique enough and different enough characters from the other show. I mean, I read up some of the behind the scenes, how a lot of the, t- they spent months coming up with these characters. Uh, and many times they would come up with the character and then somebody would say, you know what? No, that's too much like this person or that person that, that was on a different show. And I think that they were very effective. I think the writing is very good here, is it, the way it defines these characters. And I think their performances are great. I think the actors are all really good. Famously, this show, they reshot. There were a lot of scenes that they, that they shot, like, not just twice, but three times, because originally they cast Genevieve Bougeau, which I always thought was weird, by the way. If, if Listeners, if you've ever seen a movie with Genevieve Bougeau, or have you ever have you ever read about her process as an actress? She's awesome. I love her. What was that Clint Eastman movie she was in that was she was so amazing? Or or no, uh, Dead Ringers. That's one of my favorite movies. Cronenberg is one of my favorite directors. She's amazing in that movie. But when you read about her, like she's like super all natural. She never uses makeup. She she's very big on the process and and the way she performs this in this really natural way she takes a lot of time to get into a character all those sorts of things you're like who thought she was going to be great right (laughs) on a tv show where they can shoot 15 16 hour days months on end i mean of course not no um but so you know so she's awesome she was just wrong for this part so despite the fact that they spent months casting her within two days i think everybody realized this was wrong and she was gone and they took a break for a week and they cast Kate McGrew. But even then, after they shot some scenes with her, hey, she's great. Excellent. Then when they looked at the dailies and they realized her hair, they didn't like the way her hair looked. <laughs> they, they actually ended up shooting some of those scenes effectively three times. Once with Genevieve, once with Kate's old hair and once with her new hair. I can't imagine what that must have been like. Right. Um, I, really, I don't remember where it was. I feel like I, I'm positive that I've seen some of that Genevieve Bougeau stuff. Was that on a DVD? Maybe it, it is. It's on extras. Yeah. Okay. Kind of neat that she permitted them to put that on there, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember how cool it was when we finally saw after like 30 years or something, when, they, when we finally saw the Eric Stoltz back to the future mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> anyway, in some ways it probably benefited this show that they were f- kind of forced to spend even more time getting the casting right. But you forget all that stuff when you're watching this pilot because it feels like it had to be that person, right? Who else? 
it's just immediate. It's not like the other shows where I've, I've frequently felt like, like, you know, think about, think about next gen and the first season and how long it took to really find those characters. DS nine even, but here I just, I feel like better than any other show. They've got some deep character stuff from day one. And I like these characters even on the original series, you know, all three years in, I don't, I don't know that we got to know some of those main characters as much as we already know these, these characters. Do you, do you guys kind of remember when you first saw this pilot, uh, your overall feelings, like, does it hit you as effectively today as it did then? Well, I, um, I certainly remember it very well. This was kind of in the, uh, this is in one of those golden ages of Trek, the nineties where, you know, it's, it's like the, as you, as you said, it's like next gen went away. So we bring in a second series, you know? And so it was a big deal. And, um, so I certainly remember watching it with, with others, friends and so forth. And, and I, I enjoyed it. I don't, I don't remember at the time, honestly, if I was, if I thought it was great or okay or lackluster, I just remembered it was exciting to start up another Trek series and get to know these characters. I, I totally agree with um, the assessment of how interesting these characters are from the get go and how they flesh them out so well and so forth. And, and it's interesting because people often talk about how the whole Gene Roddenberry utopian vision of Trek and then all the, and then as time goes on, they say, well, you know, that we have to change that to, but really that it was, it was very much an evolution, right? I mean, next gen was, you know, he was still directly involved at the beginning of that one. And then there are people call DS nine, like the darker series and this kind of thing, but really it's, it's over time. It just becomes more, more real, a little more gritty, more down to earth. People have conflicts and this kind of thing. And, um, you know, the, it's the way they handle the background of these characters and you get to know, okay, in, in this future that we've been living in now for, you know, a number of years, specifically the 24th century, you know, there, there are people, there are people that rebel and don't want to be part of the Federation. There are people who are in prison, who are in Starfleet and all this kind of stuff. And then let's force them into an, an unusual situation. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think I think it's a very interesting premise, and I, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it watching it this time. Um, I will say, what's another fun thing is the first uh, the first Star Trek convention I ever went to was the big one. It used to be in Pasadena, um, a creation convention, and that was in 90, uh, 95, I believe. So this was brand new. You know, this was later that year, but this series, you know, was brand new, and so they played the theme song to this the opening theme to this all the time during the convention. So that's what comes to mind when I first started this up <laughs> and that theme was going is like, was thinking the memories of being that overwhelming experience of my first track convention being the grand slam can, you know, you know, creation convention in Pasadena, which was so huge. And that's what I think of when I hear that music, but um, yeah, it's, it certainly takes, takes me back. And I, I think it is a very, uh, it's a, it's a very unique take on things and it's a, it's a, it's a good pilot. I do love the the Jerry Goldsmith's theme for this. It's probably my favorite of all the show's themes. I, I love the music here. It's really great. Um, yeah, the, the, that premise of having the McKee on there and to give it kind of some immediate drama, this still fits within the Gene Roddenberry universe. And to put them out there where they don't have, you know, put them in the Delta Quadrant where they do not have the safety net of Starfleet. They're not calling... 
and talking to the Federation and every day. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, it's a really good, almost effortless, it feels like, way to start the show with this drama and this inherent through line, this storyline. We'll get into more of that, I think, when we talk about Parallax. But um, Adam, you're... You know, any memories you have of first seeing it and how, how you feel about it today versus then? And I remember my first thoughts about the concept of the show was like, um, we, call, we called it Star Trek Lost in Space. Um, that's kind of what the concept was. Um, yeah, yeah. I like Voyager, They're the, I'm, but I remember watching it the first run. I think, like you, Brian, I think I watched it all, all the way through. But there were times when I really wanted to kind of give up on the show. It would kind of lose me. Um I don't know, you know, the premise to me kind of sometimes got convoluted and kind of what direction the show was going or wasn't going. So I remember getting, I remember being frustrated a lot of the, not a lot of the time, but I remember being frustrated a few times with what they were trying to do with the show on the first run. I've seen it all the way through since then, and it doesn't bother me near as much as as it did when I first watched the show. But I'd probably say watching the, watching Voyager um, (laughs) the first time through, um, I didn't dislike it, but it was probably my least favorite of the treks at the time. Um, today, I appreciate it a lot more, um, and I agree with you. The characters are very strong, and I, I don't think I ever had a problem with the characters or the actors or that kind of direction. You know, Star Trek's always been great about casting um, phenomenal actors to play these roles. They're strong, they're creative, they you know, you know, all the way through all the treks, um, even to the new movies. Um, but yeah, like I said, I appreciate it a lot more today, and I appreciated. Well, I had fun watching Character Checker. I think it's a solid first episode. I mean, if you look at the first, the treks from that time, the '90s, Next Gen, DS9, and Voyager, um, Caretaker to me is second. Um, I, I I always thought Farpoint was a bit goofy, and then obviously um, the Emissary was my favorite of the of the starters. Um, the only thing that I kind of wish that I saw in Caretaker, I, I don't mind Quark being in the episode, but I kind of wish that Cisco had an appearance in Caretaker as well. You know, they're on Deep Space Nine. It's Janeway. She's there. That's that one chance where those two captains can meet. And because the reason I thought of that is because you had um, Picard and Cisco in Emissary, and I thought it kind of fit well. Um, but those were kind of my first thoughts from rewatching it. I remember immediately liking the a lot of the production design. Just the way the way the bridge looks, I love where you know Janeway sits. It's a silly thing, but when you're watching a Star Trek and you think about that, it's a lot more intimate in a way. Uh, she's more connected to everyone. There's not like this distance. She's not like on a pedestal. Just all the design work. I mean, the way the ship looks. I I love the way the ship looks. It's so. I don't know, sleek and elegant, and it's always fun the way the little warp nacelles like you know move up when it goes to warp. Yeah, the, the just the look of it. It's funny too because I watched this back to back. Literally, I watched this and Parallax, and then the latest episode of Discovery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really striking. I mean, obviously, Discovery looks amazing. You know, Discovery has. Uh, has better like you know effects work than hell some of the features and of course it's nice just to see it in hd and everything and uh you know voyager definitely looks like it's a product of the 90s but it's just it really paints a very different picture of you know know, voyager was this continuation of next gen and ds9 and when you love that stuff so much 
you know, watching Caretaker felt like I was kind of coming home in a way after watching even, even the original series and the animated series. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and there's nothing wrong with that as far as like, I clearly have a bias for the, for this show. Um, that's fine. I'm aware of it, but hey, Brian didn't, didn't, did they go full CG somewhere in Voyager? Did they make that transition with Voyager or was that just enterprise? Yeah, but not, not here. I mean, the actual Voyager is a model. No, I know they started off that way. Did they make the transition somewhere along the way in this series? I couldn't remember if they did or not. That's going. a good question. I always remember like Speed 8472, I think, was the first completely, you know, CG alien uh, that we see regularly, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But the timing's around about right. You know, in the features, I remember, I think Insurrection was the first time. Yeah. The ship was always yeah. CG. And there were no ship models. And what was that? Ninety-eight. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that that's that seems possible somewhere in this show. Yeah, obviously, you know the the opening credits. You know, they wouldn't reshoot that. But I'm talking about just like all in scene episode stuff. I thought I remember reading that somewhere, or I remember I remember that happening where they just went straight CG. When I, I will say, and I, believe me, I know I'm the only person on planet Earth that's thinking this. <laughs> <laughs> but watching it, I was immediately like, oh, every, every single special the special effects were all clearly 30 frames per second, hmm. even though the all the live action stuff obviously was 24. And in a weird way, that made it feel like really dated. I remember that. Ever, who was I think it was they had two special effects producers on Next Gen and they like swapped episodes and the one guy would do 24 and the other guy would do 30 so like every other episode was 30 but for the Blu-rays when it was all remastered because nobody in the high def world would do something at 30 because I mean not a drama, dramatic show because then it's limits your international anyway um, they fixed all that they made everything 24 they used smoke and converted it so you couldn't tell really in next gen. Everything just looked twenty four. But here, watching it, Voyager and Caretaker, all the special effects were thirty, and they it so stuck out to me, and it so weirdly made it feel dated. <laughs> Nobody would do that now. Um, and yes, I was also uh, acutely aware that nobody else is thinking this, <laughs> right? I mean, you guys weren't thinking that it looks too video-y during the effects, and that makes it feel dated. Oh no, no, I, no, just me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Man. Okay. I did. I just tra- I just transitioned into it like a nice warm bath. You just you just let, <laughs> let go, Brian, and enjoy it. Oh God, I do wish they would, because I know all this stuff. They could give us this in high def. They're just ugh. at least if I knew that it was going to happen someday, but we don't. For all we know, mm-hmm. it'll never ever no, happen. It's, it's, it's possible. That it will never yeah. Well, the f- the fun part for me is I don't own Voyager. I've never owned it, so um, I decided I'm just going to slowly buy it on iTunes. So I'll have it that way. Uh, so we haven't actually talked about this episode very much. Let's see. I like I like I said. I think for mo- mostly for me in this episode, I I kind of like the the sci-fi story of it. I like I, I like the actual caretaker, the alien probe stuff. Still, I mean, I remember at the time being ick. But it still makes me uncomfortable. I think it's very effective, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but mostly, what I remember about this is just how much I like how much I like the characters and their relationship. And you know, look how far you get, even just out of Tom Paris and when he meets Chakotay and 
it's very clear why Chakotay, you know, the way Chakotay talks about, oh, well, Tubac was doing his duty as a Starfleet officer, so I'm not, I don't, I'm not that upset with him for being uncovered. But you, you were just a mercenary, you know, whatever. Uh, that they have an entire story arc in this one episode. By the end of the episode, and, and mm-hmm. Paris saves Chakotay. I mean, this it's 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 very satisfying and complete, and has a real like narrative direction. All of the characters. Well, it's funny you're talking. I mean, you know, it almost kind of these these episodes almost felt Tom Paris heavy. I mean, you get a lot of Tom Paris in these first two episodes and his interactions. It's not. I was kind of thinking that, but it's not till the second episode that you start getting interactions between um Chakotay and um Janeway. But I thought that was kind of interesting that you know Paris, who's he's kind of a secondary character, but you know he has a very prominent role in these first two. Ep- you know, the pilot of this um the series and he's a criminal and he's busted out of jail to help them so it's an unusual um character choice for for star trek uh, let's see what happened uh i wrote down torres and kim given tour of a company facility told they're going to die offered lunch <laughs> um i like those two together yeah 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 it really is it's so much it's just all about the characters we get the first time First dynamic between Neelix and Tuvok. Yep, I was just about to mention that, and and the first chance to see uh, Tim Russ's Tuvok's uh, comedic chops. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you'd care to take a bath or something. You know, I mean, he's funny. He's funny immediately. He's funny. It's really uh, convenient how the caretaker trans the them going to the Delta Quadrant that whole incident conveniently like kind of kills off all the buttholes, you know, on the ship. Right, or most of them. Yeah, that's a good deal. All right, that sure. Yeah, yeah. He's a jerk killer. Hey, Brian, I wanted to ask you, going back to Tom Paris, um, so the character that he plays in this, it's kind of similar to what he played in Next Gen, you know, um, with Wesley Crusher. I don't remember the name of the episode, but, you know, he's kind of a disgraced yeah. Starfleet officer. Um, so I was curious how they came up with that casting, just or if there was any... No, I mean that's what happened. They they were thinking of him as that character, and that's exactly who they wanted. I didn't read this recently, but I definitely remember either reading or seeing an interview in years past where they actually considered literally having him play that character, mm-hmm. and then basically they realized, oh, we would have to pay yeah um, like money forever to whoever wrote that episode so let's not do that okay right. so that's the choice i was wondering so that's the reason which is particularly unfair to whoever created <laughs> right. that character because yeah. <laughs> all they did was change the dang name but you know yeah, yeah it's a very very they very similar character a bit, but yeah no he's he was intentionally a similar character yes uh and in, in in some ways because if you look back there's pretty good online. There's pretty good like history of the development of like the storyline for this show. And if you look at like the earliest, earliest, earliest story concepts that they had between the three of them, you know, uh, Michael Pillar, Jerry Taylor, and Rick Berman, even super early on when almost everything else would end up changing, they had this idea of a, of um, an outcast, like Federal Starfleet guy, probably possibly in prison, you know, being tasked with helping, a ship on a secret mission, that sort of thing. So they always had that, that prisoner, you know, used to be a Starfleet officer character in there. I don't know how early on it was Bobby McNeil's character, but I have a feeling it was probably pretty early. Yeah. So he probably had the least amount of work to do to prepare. (laughs) (laughs) I had to go back and read his notes from the episode. 
I mean, in other words, was Ensign Rose supposed? Was she originally written into this episode? No, that was DS Nine or DS Nine. Yeah, that was DS Nine. I do remember, and we'll see if I feel differently with this watch through. But I do remember feeling like, like a, a disappointment with how what they what they do with Chakotay over the course of the series, and by the end of the series, feeling like he got mm-hmm. really shortchanged uh, as a character. But not here. If you just are watching Caretaker, it doesn't feel like that's going to be the case, and certainly not Parallax. And again, we'll talk about that in a minute. But you know, I think that his setup here is pretty solid. Um, I, I, you know. I, I think this is an incredibly strong pilot. I think I think it feels like a feature, which is pretty amazing. Uh, if I had to pick some gripes, you know, it is pretty quick at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way the Bakiyu seem to be integrated, we get a little bit of we get actual conflict in the next one, but it's it's just like in the last few seconds, all of a sudden, oh look, they're all in Starfleet uniforms. Yeah, um, and she's she says. Chicote is going to be the first officer, and we don't actually see the scene where they decide that it's going to be a Starfleet right. crew. Or uh, I mean, it's not necessarily that's not super necessary, but it does feel of, like it's got a pretty quick wrap up, and maybe they were a little bit too quick to make them one big happy crew. But I had that in my notes, and that's what I was talking about with um, Paris earlier being kind of a strong part of this episode. I kind of would have preferred instead of having that end scene with Paris and Janeway in her ready room where she's you know telling them she's making him a field officer and that kind of thing. I think I would have preferred a scene with her and Chakotay at the end there, but you know, I feel like we kind of get that that stuff in the next episode. We get it more in the next episode, yeah, I'm sure. Right, yeah, just another kind of character thing. Like, there's that moment where, and I always love the way it was shot. That whole sequence when with uh, Janeway and Tuvok and a couple others, they're down in the Ocompan city and. Everyone's hustling and bustling and everybody's in motion. And Tuvok has the line about, I believe there's now enough information to form a reasonable hypothesis or something. And it was, it's just that, that, that moment when what makes Voyager so different from DS9 especially jumps out at me. Because it's, okay, this is going to be action-packed. You know, Emissary, we loved that pilot, but... It was a lot more cerebral, you know, and and this is just action packed. And in that moment, I, I learned so much about Tuvok as a character, the way that he's going to approach things. And we're going to see that throughout the series, too. You know, the way he performs investigations in his analytical mind. But that moment, just the way the camera is moving and everything, I always remember that. It always stuck out to me as it's an action packed show. And that's true more than something say set on a space station and it's a kind of it's a different role for a vulcan character you know most of the 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 vulcans are all you know if you look at the original science officer even an enterprise science officer um he's security so yeah you're right about the analytical mind all the just popped in my head all the investigative shows that he's going to do because he's an he's an investigator Um, whereas the science is more kind of feel like janeway's more of a scientist science officer yeah, that's worth mentioning too. You you really feel like it. We're gonna. Well, I guess that's probably more of a parallax thing. But but yeah, we see that she is way more interested in the science of it. Yeah, we'll talk about that in parallax. Yeah, I guess the last thing I wanted to mention was uh, I really like her 
speech at the end. I guess you're going to have to give the end of your pilot. You got to give the captain a speech, right? But I think it's pretty good. And it's, it's the kind of moment where you can just see like all the suits who were probably so freaked out because this, this, mm-hmm. this pilot was like the most expensive episode of Star Trek ever. Partially because it was going to be expensive regardless, but partially because they reshot so much of it multiple times. One of those times they actually had to rebuild the sets and stuff. So you had to imagine like the suits were really worried. And I've heard, and, and Mulgrew has talked about it too, but you know, that maybe there was this sense of, because the studio didn't necessarily want a woman. So maybe there was, oh, you know what? You can't, maybe you can't run lead, lead a Star Trek show with a woman. If there was never any doubt. This is my point. You watch that last, that last sequence when she gives that, that speech. And it's, I mean, it's well-written, but her, what her delivery is like, yes, she's the captain. No problem. Let's go. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really good. I think this episode is fantastic. I really do. Is it about anything? Well, a lot of it's about coming together through diversity. I mean, it, it, we, you, that's one of the themes of Star Trek is diver- coming together through diversity. Um, you know, and each show has kind of done it in a different way. Um, this one's bringing two, you know, basically two opposing political sides and bringing them together. Not only do they have opposing political views, but they're they're multicultural and multi-species. And you know, we get Neelix in here is from you know, there's, it's, there's a very, you know, like DS9, there's a very diverse group of people from diverse, very diverse, different backgrounds. Um, and kind of the show to me kind of feels like they have to come together to, if they want to survive, they have to come together and, and merge and meld their differences into a cohesive crew. And, you know, and that's what they do over the, the course of the series. Yeah. I think there's, um, it's obviously, uh, there's a f- getting through differences to come together to, you know, solve a problem. It's kind of a, the, the whole basis of the Federation, you know, is kind of in a way it's highlighted because you have not only that you, the bringing uh, people from diverse backgrounds together to solve a problem, you know, this kind of thing, but also the theme of self-sacrifice, you know, because ultimately they go through with the plans to, uh, destroy that station, although there may have been a chance to use it to go home, you know, we don't know, but they do it to save a, a group of people they didn't even know the day before, you know, and uh, so there, there's that in this too, I think. They stand by their principles. Yeah, when it doesn't yeah. standing by principles in adversity, you know, coming together. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, it's a very, you know, it's a lot of the themes of Star, Star Trek in general, and so they set that up very well mm-hmm. in this episode. It's very strong in this episode, that, that, those themes. Well, let's do Six Degrees for Caretaker. Steve. Mm-hmm. First or second? Uh, first. Robert Duncan McNeil plays Ensign Tom Paris. He played Cadet Nicholas Locarno in Next Gen in the episode The First Duty. Mm. What season was that? Gosh, I haven't narrowed down here, but <laughs> uh, fourth? No, no, uh, no alternate options here. It was five. Yeah, that's my other choice. It was a tough one. I thought, I know there's the, yeah, there's the, it's the show without uh, Wesley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what I thought would help with that. Uh, okay, 
Adam Tim Russ plays the Vulcan Tuvok in Next Gen. He played Devor in the episode Starship Mine. What season was that? Starship Mine? From which series? Next Gen. Next Gen. Starship Mine. Would that be season seven? Nope, six. Hmm. <laughs> there was nothing that made that one easy. That was just not fair. Uh, nothing and nothing. Moving on. Parallax, Season 1, Episode 3, Production Code 103, Original Air Date, January 23rd, 1995, Directed by Kim Friedman, Story by Jim Trombetta, Teleplay by Brandon Braga, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Josh Clark as Lieutenant Joseph Carey, Martha Hackett as Ensign Seska, and Justin Williams as Crewman Jarbin. As Voyager starts its way back home from the Delta Quadrant, Tensions between the Starfleet and Maquis crew members begin to rise, and some brief hostilities incur. Captain Janeway and Commander Chakotay agree they need to integrate the two crews as one, but they disagree on how. Of note, Chakotay recommends Bellana Torres, one of the more outspoken Maquis and former Starfleet cadets, to be chief engineer, a move that Janeway is very hesitant about, considering Torres recently broke another engineer's nose. And in this case... We'd be staring up at the surface of the event horizon and seeing a time-delayed reflection of ourselves. Are you saying we're the ones trapped in the singularity? Unfortunately, yes. You're right. It's the only theory that explains everything that's happened to us. We've probably been in this singularity since we felt the first jolt. Parallax. Um, Adam, why don't you start us off on Parallax? Parallax, you know, we were just, or I was mentioning earlier, there were some things that I kind of wanted to see in caretaker but you get this in parallax so you know, just maybe just being impatient um you get a lot from janeway and um chakotay in this episode um and and that's kind of a dynamic that's going to go throughout the um the whole series um and what i think i like about this episode is you f- you find out who chakotay is um we don't get a you get some of them in caretaker but you really get a lot of chakotay in this episode and you see how what a good leader he is and what a good first officer he is to Janeway. Um, I like the scene when they're, they're disagreeing in her ready room and, and he looks at her and he's like, I'm trying to help you. I'm sorry. You can't see that. And, and he was, he was being genuine. I believed it as the actor. I believed it as the writing as the character. And um, that's the kind of first officer he is for her throughout the whole series. He'll stand up to her because Janeway is a very strong captain. She's very, very strong captain. Um, and she needed a strong first officer to um, stand up to her. And I think we get a lot of that from Jakota in this episode. Steve, what are your first thoughts on Parallax? Yeah, I like how it's in, in a way it's kind of a continuation of the pilot in terms of uh, reconciling some of these issues, like how do how do you make some of these decisions in terms of the crew and getting these two, these two different crews to integrate and so on. I do like... Um, I, I always like the Janeway Chakotay pairing and the dynamics there. I think that's interesting. And it's also, we already get um, some other new relationships start up. Uh, of course, the Janeway and uh, Torres and, and and that kind of dynamic, they have pretty much the whole series through. And then, then the Doctor and Kiss also, that's already starting. And not only that starting, but the questions about his sentience and you know status as a sentient being and this kind of thing already already happening here in the uh, first non-pilot episode of the series so i like that as well 
just based on what everybody said in this episode, I think you guys are pronouncing his name wrong. I think it's Chakote. Chakote. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Although apparently yeah. they kind of anglicize that more as the series progresses, they decide. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that didn't last very long. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's neat that there is this like this sense of, uh, of serial storytelling here, letting us see the relationships and, and, and even just having uh, Torres become chief engineer here instead of the end of Caretaker, where Paris became the pilot, right? He became the pilot in the pilot. Never thought that before. Uh, I don't know how long that's really going to go. I I do remember clearly feeling like there was this like series through line once Seven of Nine comes on the show. Yeah, you know, that that relationship that Janeway has with Torres, like you were saying, Steve, that it does seem like she has throughout the show. It, it feels right. It feels right for the time. It, for the time, it felt right in the 90s. And watching it now, it does not feel dated to me. Any of these relationships and any of these characters, they don't, you know, the show feels dated in other ways, but not in that way. Like the characters seem really genuine to me and the performances seem that way. And this is, the, you know, you ha- you know, this episode must have been written uh, before anything had actually been shot. It must have been written before um, whoever wrote it, Braga, I think, before he could actually see them playing the characters. Right. Right. Um, so it's 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 really it's just it's good writing and it's effective. I like even the even the science bit of it, which gives us an excuse to really see how much of a scientist Janeway is when she's figuring this stuff out with with Torres. She's clearly getting very excited. The way, I mean, when they they have that little moment where they both have reached the same conclusion at the same time, and poor Carrie's sitting back there like, oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting this job. <laughs> 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 I'm not even going to be at this meeting tomorrow. Right, they just like in. take him out of the meeting the next day. It's kind of harsh. <laughs> why don't you just I'm going to die on our way, man. Just sleep in tomorrow, Carrie. It's all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they they have that. They reach that little conclusion together, Torres and Janeway, and then they kind of walk out together. And you can see that that Janeway is very excited, and she's clearly a scientist. And it's just one of those little things that reminds you that she is different than the other captains. And I, I enjoy that. It's funny, like, I, I didn't, I remembered thinking that the first episode after the pilot, I didn't care for as much. But I, I liked this. I thought it was, I thought it was great. I mean, I think it's, it does everything it needed to do. Like, they didn't, they didn't have to iron all these things out necessarily, but they did. And I'm, and I like the way they did it. And it all, it all seemed to, it all seemed to be like organically needed. It never seemed like, oh, this is the episode where Torres has to become chief engineer. This is the episode where Torres has to learn to trust Janeway. You know, that moment at the end when Janeway picks which ship is the right ship, right? And Torres has to uh, navigate to that ship. And Torres just has to trust Janeway. And you, you already can tell that Janeway is 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 going is going to go with Torres. And Torres can tell that she's going to be the engineer. And so she doesn't have to, I mean, she could have fought it or whatever, but she, she decides I disagree with her, but I'm going to trust her as my captain. And it's just a natural kind of organic thing within the episode, I guess is my point. It doesn't, it doesn't feel forced at all. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd agree with you, Brian. The whole episode feels so effortless in that way, you know? Well, we were, what we were talking about in Caretaker, I mean, this kind of seems like a natural 
natural sequel to Contero- to a progression to Caretaker because, you know, there's this natural, I mean, you're right, there's this natural, okay, conflict with these two crews with opposing political views and how are they supposed to come together? So I'd agree with you. It doesn't feel forced. It actually feels natural. I mean, Chakotay's right. They, you know, they all have to learn how to trust each other. And, um, you know, in, in any other series, you know, they're all Starfleet officers, except maybe DS9. There's that there's that where they have to learn to trust each other, but it doesn't seem like as compact, you know, I guess, you know, they're all stuck on this one ship, whereas DS9, they're on a, this huge station. So they all have to learn to get along. So get a lot of that in this episode. You know, in, in a lot of ways, just kind of looking at where this where this episode aired in the grand scheme of things, it's almost like, you know, all the writers and the producers, they're, they're aspiring on all cylinders right now. You know, it's, it's, they've got enough experience where they know what works and what doesn't on the most part, yet not so far along in this mess that they start getting stale and repeating the same stuff over and over again and run out of ideas. I mean, I think a lot of that's what's happening here at the beginning of Voyager in that era. Yeah, what a great couple of years there. The height of Star Trek in so many ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really don't think we will ever see this again. No, no. Basically three shows and movies and Star Trek The Experience. Mm. and Yeah, we've yeah. talked about that before. Say, <sighs> Libby. They were the Avengers of the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we weren't that successful. Otherwise, we would have... Yeah, shows. they'd still be <laughs> making those movies until they can't... Cranking them out. You know. Yeah. About. What is Parallax about? Um, I think it continues on the themes of the of of caretaker um, coming together um, and learning to trust. I, and I don't fault them for this because it's there was so much going on in caretaker setting up their whole world and what they're going to be doing in this series that they didn't have time to kind of bring these crews together. And that's what Parallax does. It kind of brings home these crews and that they, you know, they have the singularity that they have to get out of, you know, it's the, the, the monster in this episode is very similar to a lot of other Star Trek episodes, but how they handle it was very different um, just because of the situation that they're in. So um, yeah, um, there's the coming together, there's learning to trust, um, learning to let go of your preconceived notions about who these other people are and what they're about and, learning process i suppose yeah it's um yeah, i agree with all that and it's kind of this pragmatism of versus idealism i mean the sense that you you've got a you're not in an ideal situation obviously and you've got to take some chances and lean on some people you know and obviously janeway from the, at the very beginning you can tell she really is against the idea of bringing you know choosing Torres as the chief engineer. She thinks it's almost preposterous. You can tell from her expressions. And then ultimately that changes because she's, she has to open up her mind too, you know, and, and learn to trust Chakotay and learn to trust other officers and see new approaches and creative approaches that may not be cookie cutter Starfleet in her eyes or whatever. And so um, that's just kind of a byproduct of um, being put in unusual situations and not ideal circumstances. So yeah, it's interesting. I love that moment when she's kind of just looking. There's no dialogue. She's just looking at Chakotay as he's walking out. She kind of gives him, mm-hmm. I don't know, a little nod or a little wink, something like that. You know, like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. Maybe you were right, and um, I wasn't being fair to Torres. All right, let's do six degrees for Parallax. Adam, are you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. 
Martha Hackett plays Seska in DS9's third season. She played sub-commander Tarul in the episodes The Search, parts 1 and 2. What species was Tarul? I'm just going to go Cardassian because I don't remember. Nope. Steve? Uh, Romulan? Yes. Steve, Josh Clark plays Ensign Carey. He previously played an unnamed tactical officer in the episode Justice. Which series was that? Justice. Next gen? Justice. Yes. It was a very early one. He went many years mm. between that and this. Uh, so Steve takes it for the day. Folks, thus concludes our first podcast of 2018. I'm so excited. I feel like I say this every time we start a new series, but there aren't that many of them, people, <laughs> you know? It's single digits, right? Uh, but I'm so excited to rewatch this show with you fine people. It was nice to get into like real nothing against the animated series, but yeah, it's it's actually kind of nice to watch like full put together episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Uh, it's odd that I'm I'm more excited to, to watch this uh twenty three-year-old show that I am a currently airing show. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm not going to get into that right now. I don't know what you're talking about, Brian. No. Um, so, thank you for spending an hour with us. And, and then in two weeks, we will be back to discuss the next three episodes of Star Trek Voyager. You can follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion or Facebook, facebook.com slash trekcompanion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. We welcome your feedback, and thank you again, and until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See you. Fun, I passed it.